Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Love that last line in that hymn we just sang, Solid Joys and Lasting Treasures. That's the solid assurance that we have of our standing before the Lord, which comes as we confess our sins. So let's turn to God's Word and confess our sins together. Exodus chapter 20 is our call to confession. We'll be doing a series in the Ten Commandments the next few weeks. Hear God's Word. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Thus far the reading of God's word. The season of Lent began this week, and we'll be walking through the Ten Commandments two at a time until Palm Sunday at this point in the service. So uh, here we go. We're just going to jump right in. The first commandment goes right along with the greatest commandment. No other gods before the true God. Love God with all your heart. So how are we doing in this? Uh, We know no one loves God more than anything else. We all have idols that we look to first. The question isn't if you do, but which ones. Uh, Identify those so that we can take them out or so that we can take them down to the priority that they should have in our lives. What things in life are you currently pursuing with more intensity and fervor than you are pursuing fellowship with God? So ours is a two-pronged attack to reject the idols while we also run to the Lord. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. No other gods before me, God says. The second commandment tells us to worship God in the right way, not with any images that we dream up or carve out. We we cannot make an accurate image of God. He has given us one in Jesus Christ, and God is rightly jealous about this. It's like a wife is rightly jealous if she finds pictures of other women in the house. It's disloyal. To our God. So how does your mental picture of God compare to what the Bible says about him? So those are the first two commandments very, very quickly. Going back to the first verse of Exodus 20, remember all the commandments, all our confessions happen in a context of a merciful God who has redeemed us from all our sins. First thing God says in the Ten Commandments is, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you. That's the context. So we don't obey, we don't confess our sins to get God to save us, but because he already has. So let's confess our sins. Please kneel if you are able, and we'll pray together. sermon text from there. 
We just finished in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, and then you have a long paragraph there on the genealogy of Jesus. So chronologically, the very next thing that happens, we come to in Luke 4, verse 1. Hear God's infallible word. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Thus far, the reading of God's word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we enter this season of Lent, I've decided to take these Sundays to consider from Luke uh, the life of Christ, his ministry, his obedience, his suffering for us. Now, uh, Lent is a funny thing. <laughs> Lent is a divisive thing. And thankfully, we just went over that three-circle grid the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to hope that helps us at this point. Lent is a, a level three kind of thing. It's something that we disagree about, but, and we don't want it to let divide us. Uh, so there are many in the church that, uh, that uh, celebrate Lent, observe it studiously. Uh, others, uh, actually the opposite, uh, stay away from Lent and see it as a dangerous thing. So it's a rather divisive thing. We want to not let that divide us. Uh, the church is going to do something with Lent or not, uh, and that inevitably takes a position. So my position is this, Lent can be useful, but should not be required. So if it kind of freaks you out just thinking about it, then never mind, don't sweat it, not a big deal. But, but as a church, I do find the potential upside worth addressing. Uh, the church calendar is there for us to, to rhythmically, annually, focus on various parts of Christ's work for us. And Lent is to focus on Christ's ministry, his temptations, his obedience, his self-denial, his suffering. 
That's the aspect of Christ's ministry for us that we focus on. Now, as with any good thing, we tend to distort and twist it, right? Think of other holidays, for example. We mess up Christmas by making it a greed fest where kids demand presents, right? We, we mess up Easter by turning to pastels and bunnies and eggs instead of the resurrection, right? We, we mess up Lent by turning to our works instead of Christ's. And for that reason, many people try to avoid it. We'll come back to that at the end if we have time. But for now, let's turn to our text in Luke chapter 4 and exposit here. I'm going to seek to be more expository in my approach for these weeks as opposed to topical as I have been so far. So Jesus, the theme here is that Jesus resists Satan's temptations. He denies himself and he obeys the Father. That's what's going on big picture here. So what has just happened? Let's consider the context first. We read from Luke 3. We saw the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus uh, comes. He is in the water. The Holy Spirit descends, verse 22, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven comes. This is the Father speaking. And says, you are my son. This is my son. I am well pleased in you, the Father says to the Son. After that baptism in the Jordan, we look now at verse 1 and 2 of our text in chapter 4. After Christ's baptism in the Jordan, he takes 40 days in the wilderness. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, So this is an intentional act on his part to be in the wilderness for 40 days, directed by the Spirit. Uh, What this does is this copies Israel's history. Uh, The 40 is quite important. Uh, Israel crossed the Red Sea, and uh, the Psalms call that, or the New Testament also calls that, Israel being baptized into Moses, that crossing of the Red Sea. So as Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, he then goes into the wilderness for 40 uh, days, just as Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, The Spirit was with Israel as well. He had the glory cloud in the tabernacle. Uh, And God was testing Israel there. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 we read, where God says, I I tested you to humble you in the wilderness. Same kind of thing is happening to Jesus in the wilderness. There's a testing going on. And our text says that Satan is tempting Jesus. Yes, he is. He's trying to take him down. But in a sense, God also is testing Jesus. Not to take him down, but to prove his faithfulness. Same thing that God was doing with Israel in the desert. So when Israel gave in to temptation, God says Israel tested him. It's an interesting play on words. You tested me these ten times, he says in Numbers. So all the testing uh, puns are rather fascinating here. Israel tested his patience, I think that means. They tested his mercy, which remained steadfast. God remained faithful to Israel, even though they failed him many times. Well, when Satan tempts Jesus here, again, Satan is out to take him down. But it's under God's supervision that this happens. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And God's testing Jesus to prove his faithfulness, just as he did with Job, for example. God gives that permission to Satan as well with Job. Here, the same with Jesus. Well, let's look at verse 2. He's tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he eats nothing, and at the end he's hungry. A rather obvious statement we would think. After 40 days, I'd be hungry too. It's one of those biblical understatements. 
where it really drastically understates what's, what's happened to make the point all the more. Yeah, he's hungry. We're all supposed to think, man, that's an extreme physical condition going on. Well, fasting for 40 days. Now, Moses fasted for 40 days in Exodus 34. Elijah fasted for 40 days in 1 Kings 19. Jesus fasts like they did to show us that he is acting as Israel, for Israel, for God's people. See, when Moses fasts, it's after Israel worshiped the golden calf. And remember, Moses comes down the mountain and he breaks the tablets. And so God sends Moses back up the mountain. He makes new tablets and he fasts for 40 days there. When Elijah fasts, Jezebel is out to get him. And Israel is wavering between worshiping God and worshiping Baal. And Elijah runs, and he gives in to despair. And he asks God to die. I'm no better than my fathers. Not exactly the great exemplar of a prophet. But he fasts for 40 days at that time. Jesus fasts like them, these great leaders of Israel, representing the law and the prophets. But where they fell short of the glory of God, Jesus is faithful, and he resists the temptation. That's the big picture of what's going on here. The 40 days is supposed to give us that, that clue. Jesus is, is Israel 2.0, Israel done right. And he uh, completes this uh, temptation, he resists, and obeys God faithfully. Well, verse 3, let's get into the temptations themselves. Satan's first words, If you are the Son of God... Command this stone to become bread. Satan's words are very significant. He knows what he's doing. If you, and look back again at chapter 3, verse 22. What has God just said? You are my beloved son. And what is the first thing Satan says to Jesus? If you are the son of God, he introduces doubt. Into that, Jesus replies three times with, it is written. To deal with doubt, we go to the word of God. What has God said? And this ought to have you have uh, alarm bells going off or echoes going off of the Garden of Eden, right? What does Satan say to Eve? Has God really said that you're going to die? He's getting them to doubt the word of God. God just said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Has God really said? Not long after. Satan tries to get us to doubt God's word, what God says. And not only that, the specific content of what God says here. If you are the Son of God, Satan tries to get us to doubt our favored status with God in Christ. If Satan can convince us that God doesn't favor us, he can get us to doubt that. Or if you get, can get us to think we've got to prove our favor somehow, then we are very vulnerable to his schemes. Well, you're not really sure if God loves you unless you do X, Y, or Z. So we scramble to do X, Y, and Z because we're not sure. And now we're being led by Satan instead of trusting God's word. Satan is subtle, so very subtle. He says, turn these stones into bread. Here's the specific temptation. Jesus does need food. Food is not wrong in itself. The 40 days are up. Besides, Jesus has made the point. I think the whole reason he does this for 40 days is to show that he is faithful Israel. 
He's God's faithful son. Well, the point's been made. The picture is fully painted. There's no need to continue the fast. And so Satan steps in at that moment. <laughs> There's just one itsy-bitsy little problem. If Jesus makes bread now at Satan's suggestion, he's doing it to prove to himself that he can. To prove that he is the Son of God. It would be an act of doubt. Jesus remembers from Deuteronomy 8 why God tested Israel in the desert in the first place. To show Israel they need to submit to God's testing, chastening trials. Look at that again in Deuteronomy 8.3. I just want to read that one more time. It's so significant. It comes right after the, the quote that Jesus gives. And that often happens, by the way, just as I'm getting there. Whenever the New Testament quotes the Old, read the context around in the Old Testament. There will be a lot of rich truth, all multifaceted, coming into what the Scriptures are trying to say. Deuteronomy 8.3, God humbled you, He allowed you to hunger, He fed you with this manna, that, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. And then verse 5, you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. God is testing Jesus here, the Father testing the Son in a loving way helping him, giving him the opportunity to prove his faithfulness. Making bread to prove that Jesus is God's son would be the opposite. It'd be like Adam taking the fruit of the tree just to prove that he can do it. No, I, I live by God's word more than I live by bread. I need to obey God more than I need to eat. That's the godly impulse behind fasting. Uh, which, fasting, by the way, is, is not always legalistic, nor is it always overly pious. Right? Jesus says, when you fast, <laughs> assuming that we will, uh, just be careful, as he goes on to say, that it stays about focusing on God more than on how great you are spiritually. That fasting should help you resist temptation, which it is doing here for Jesus. Sometimes, again, we mess things up like this all the time. Fasting often introduces all kinds of new temptations for us. You have to be careful about that. Well, just to apply this briefly of this first temptation, anytime you feel like you have to do something or you have to say something to feel sure that you are saved by God, accepted by God, watch out. That's what Satan's introducing here. If you're the Son of God, make these stones bread. Prove it to yourself. So Jesus, running with a thought experiment a minute, Jesus makes the stones into bread to prove that he's the Son of God. Now he's trusting his own power. Okay, I can make this into bread, so I must be the Son of God. It's my ability that, that gives me assurance that I'm God's Son. And he's off on the wrong track already. It's not your ability that should give you assurance that you're a child of God. It's God's word. It's Christ's work. So careful with that. Anytime you, you, you're starting to feel, I've got to do this, or I'm not sure God will love me anymore. Even if that's a good thing, get, reorient your heart. You know, keep doing the good thing, of course, but reorient your heart to not trust that. So if I don't, a few examples. If I don't read my Bible every day, God frowns on me, and I am not sure of my status with him. Watch out for that. Read your Bible every day, yes, but be careful. Plug in whatever worries you. 
And then remember, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. I should repent of my sins, accept his forgiveness, then believe him that I am accepted by him. And this works the other way, too. Uh, Because I do this, I'm sure God loves me and accepts me. Right? Uh, Because I do family worship. Because I read books to my kids. Because we don't watch TV in our house. Because we take communion every week. Because I drink alcohol now and then, unlike those poor benighted souls who think you can't. But whatever it is, you see how we get relying on the wrong thing. Satan tries to get Jesus to trust his own power, to the power to make bread, and, and not submit himself to God's will. So that's the, the general course of the temptations. We'll take a little bit less time in the, on the last two now that we've considered that in depth. Verse 5 gives us the next one. Satan takes him up on a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all their glory. I'll give it all to you, all this authority, because it's been given to me, Satan says. This, I, this verse, I think, gives us the most, the clearest glimpse into the heart of Satan of almost any in Scripture. It's just fascinating. This, this is what Satan did before the world was made. Uh, Isaiah 14 gives us a glimpse of that as well. Satan grasped for more power. He wanted to sit on God's throne himself. I will be like the Most High. I will exalt myself. That's what he says. And so you see here, as he's talking to Jesus who was there at the time, by the way, when Satan first began doing this. Now Satan here is still vaunting and grabbing for it. It's mine. And I can give it to whoever I want. It was given to me. Just worship me and I can give it to you. I've got the favors. You don't do it, I'll give it to somebody else. You see the, the vaunting pride. He's a proud power grabber, and he's looking for followers. He's looking for followers who will be the same way, who will grab after that power right under himself. The Son of God, this is just amazing impudence. The Son of God is infinitely superior to Satan in power and glory. But if he can get Jesus to follow him, to let Satan come before him, that's the ballgame. It's all over. And again, here the temptation is not to take something that's wrong to have. Think about that for a moment. It's a little, uh, uh, it's a little disorienting. But food was fine, right? Make bread. It's not like make the bread. It's eating the bread itself would have been a sin. It's the relying on the wrong thing. Same thing here. Satan's promising him, him authority. Well, authority is not evil in itself. Right? It's not uh, evil in itself. We, we're uh, often careful about this, right? We're, we know Lord Acton's words, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That kind of principle, we're careful about that. But that's because of the depravity of the heart. It's not because there's something evil about authority. Right? Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. Authority itself is not evil. Again, the temptation is, uh, is to forget the promises of God. God has already promised Jesus that he will rule the nations. We read that in Psalm 2 especially. It's a promise given to the Son. He's going to give him the nations. The serpent, Satan, is an interloper, a usurper. God allows him some level of authority temporarily. 
until Jesus get, he gives Jesus all authority. So Satan's really playing up his authority here. It's all been given to me. Notice it's in the passive voice. He's not going to mention God the Father, who for a time has let him have this. And he's just playing that all down. He's, he's not mentioning the promise that God has made to the Son at all, that he's going to have all this authority anyway. But he can have it in two ways. He can either worship Satan or he can go to the cross. What kind of Messiah will Jesus be? That's the point being established here. Well, verse 7, the, the tell, the giveaway, is that Satan wants worship. That belongs only to God. So when Jesus responds, ironically, he's talking about himself. Worship the Lord your God alone. That's Jesus. Worship only me. I don't worship you. You worship me. What Satan asks here is impudent and shameless. He's going for broke. He's putting all the chips on the table. But Jesus is worthy of worship. Jesus, you, the everlasting, eternal, only begotten, beloved Son of the Father, you should worship me, a created servant angel. Jesus' response, get behind me. It, it, it would not be an act of humility here for Jesus to give the devil first place in his life. No, we, we have to renounce him. Get him behind us so that you can't see him, so that he won't bother you and put Jesus first. Well, again, Satan's going for broke here. He wants it all. There, there's a, a running joke going on in our house lately. Uh, as we've been pointing out, how hard we all clamor for what we want, right? Trying to get this thing. I want to get the, 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 the snack. I, I want to get a little bit of extra TV time. I want to get a later, later bedtime, whatever it is. And we clamor for it. We push hard for it. And, we, and sometimes things go your way. And then the child is fairly happy, like, oh, you gave me what I want. And the, the running joke, the line is this. There, see how benevolent I can be when everybody just gives me what I want. That's Satan. That's Satan talking. I'll give you the world if you just worship me. I'll give you anything you want as long as you give me everything I want. Satan talking. What good is the world if you lose your soul? And you will lose your soul if you run off to worship other things instead of the true and living God. So keep your heart. Guard it to stay loyal to the one true God. Jesus does that as he, again, calls himself back to Scripture, calls us back to Scripture. Worship the Lord your God alone. Him only shall you serve. Verse 9, the last temptation, Jesus is brought to Jerusalem, set on the top of the temple, and Satan says, throw yourself down. The Bible says the angels will catch you. Psalm 91. This temptation is like the first. It's, it, Satan again says, if you're the Son of God then do this to prove it. Sometimes Satan's kind of short on new plays that he runs on us. He's only got a small repertoire. The problem is that they often work. He just keeps running them over and over. That's what's happening here. Now, it's not making bread, but it's a rash act to force God to save him. The difference here in this one is that Satan quotes Scripture now. Even the devil can quote Scripture. The point isn't your knowledge. The point is your loyalty. 
It's not just knowing those Bible verses, it's loving them. And Satan, he twists the meaning of Psalm 91. Psalm 91 talks about God protecting us in difficult times. It does not invite us to do death-defying stunts, since God will protect you no matter what. So, uh, you have Satan here twisting the scriptures. Uh, Would you believe me if I told you that yesterday at my front door, I had messengers of Satan twisting the scriptures? Because I did. This hasn't happened to me very often, but yeah, the two uh, nice old ladies came and didn't tell me who they were at first, but it came out that they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And they were twisting the scriptures right in front of me after I told them I was a Christian pastor. I couldn't believe it. Trying to convince me the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is fully God. Nowhere does it say that. Satan is still using the same tactic today. He's got plenty of teachers uh, that tell half-truths from the Bible. Not just the cultists, either. This is in the church as well, in in bad ways. They're half-truths. A big one these days is this. You are good enough. You are good enough. You can have your best life. This week I learned about Rachel Hollis online. Uh, She must be the new fad. She'll tell you, ladies, girl, don't apologize for who you are. Wash your face and know that you are good enough. Uh, she'll, She'll also say things like, buck up, guilt will only bring you down. Now, in a way, these are all half-truths, right? It is true that in Christ, justified by him, by faith in him, we don't have to worry about all that guilt. And guilt can be a condemning, crushing thing. We don't have to apologize to legalists who try to make us live their way. That's true. Notice how subtle and half-truth all these things are. We can think positive and look forward to a great future with the Lord. And they'll quote scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it seems to be all about me and my strength, and not so much about Christ and His. And these teachers leave out the foundation of Christ and just leave you with, you're good enough. Well, no, on your own you are not. And we need Christ's work. That's why this temptation is, of Christ, this passage is so important. This is not just a model, an example for us to how to fight temptation as well. This is the fight being done for us. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, verse 12, Jesus' response to the, Satan's twisting of Scripture is to use Scripture rightly. He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Quoting again Deuteronomy 6. Don't tempt God. Don't put him in a position where he has to act to save you. No trying to finagle events or get God to do something. That's tempting God. So notice the antidote to temptation here is not just to quote scripture back. It's not to beat Satan at quiz bowl kind of thing. It's to recall the scripture that forbids where Satan is trying to take you. Right? Where is Satan trying to take me here by what he's trying to do? It's one of the things I forgot to do with the, the two nice ladies at the door yesterday. 
had a great, a great advice in seminary about that. If they come to your door, what you want to do is say, why don't you take five or ten minutes to explain to me what you're after, and then give me five or ten minutes to explain what I believe. Messes up their whole script. Because they're trying to lead you somewhere, and they don't want you to know where they're taking you yet. So just take ten minutes to tell me where you're taking me. That's all right up front. Really messes them up. Anyway, uh, where, uh, where are you trying to take me in this temptation? And there's some scripture that's telling me not to go there. That's what Jesus does. Don't tempt the Lord your God. So Satan tempted Jesus first with physical hunger, second with worldly power, and here, I think, with false piety. Right? It, there's a false piety that we can often fall into. But man, if I really trusted God, I would do this crazy thing. <laughs> I'd quit my job and move to this state and really live for him there. Well, don't you really trust him? This is how cultists often work, by the way. If you really trusted him, you'd do this crazy thing. Well, often God is calling us to the ordinary duty that he has set right before us. Well, uh, I've come to the, the end of the passage. In the course of expositing each verse like this, I've laid out most of the main points already. I'll just list them again as we close. There's four. So first of all, Jesus is Israel redone and done right. right? Jesus didn't just come to die for you. He came to live faithfully to God for you first, something none of us do. If, if we think about Lent superficially, but we mess this up. We, we think about doing something for God. What are you giving up for Lent is always the question, right? That's the, it's the main act, the symbol, which in itself, again, isn't bad. But if that's all you're thinking about, you've, you're 180 degrees off, it, we're denying ourselves something. Lent is truly a time to remember what Jesus did for us. That comes first. So Jesus is Israel redone. Jesus is God's faithful son, where Adam was the son that screwed it up. Jesus comes and sets it right, does it right. Uh, number two, quickly, uh, Satan is out to destroy us. We know this, uh, but sometimes we need to see it and read this passage carefully. Have this look us in the face and say, Satan came to Jesus, and he was really out to take him down. The devil is out there like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour He's lied since the beginning. Whenever Jesus starts talking about Satan in the Gospels, you can almost sense, I don't know, there's this hostile tone. I don't know if you've noticed that. He's a liar from the beginning, Jesus says. He, he comes to separate us from God. He comes to ruin God's creation. He's the adversary. He's out to get us. Now, I think you have... Uh, level heads about this is uh, I, I pray you do we know that we're not supposed to look for demons around every corner and be scared of Satan uh, but neither should we kind of just shrug our uh, shoulders at him either uh, that tends to be more the error that we lean to in our circles where we say Satan has been defeated in, at, at the cross of Christ at the empty tomb and he has but God in his providence has left him out there in some ways, able to harm, able uh, to get us to doubt. And we have to watch out for that. So that's number two, Satan's out to destroy us. Number three, Jesus resisted temptation with Scripture. So know your Bibles. And more than that, be, be in the habit of bringing Scripture to mind. 
that relates to daily life. I was walking through Walmart this week, and I had one of those Walmart parenting moments. I don't know if you've seen them. I walked past a father, and I think she was about 18, or eight, I mean, an eight-year-old daughter. And I'm just walking past, so this is real fast. You know, it's five seconds of a conversation. He holds up some toy, and he says, we're getting this, and we're going home, and you're going to like it. One of those kind of Walmart moments, you know? And, that, and the, the verse came to my mind. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God in Christ forgave you. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, my point here isn't to condemn that father. You know, again, I only glimpsed five seconds of that conversation. Maybe that's exactly what that child needed in, that, in the course of that hour. Uh, but it was helpful to me that it brought important scripture texts to mind just in the course of daily, convers- um, daily life, what was happening in my life. Resist temptation with scripture. Be guided hour by hour by the Bible. So uh, resist temptation with Scripture. Be guided into the right way by the the living Word of God. And the fourth thing, uh, Jesus has been tempted uh, like we are. This takes us back to Hebrews 4. Remember that we have a Savior who can sympathize with us in our weakness, in our weak moments. This is one of the the things people often point out. Uh, Jesus is at one of his weakest moments here in this text. Satan knows when and where to attack us. And in three ways. Jesus is in the desert. Adam was in a paradise, beautiful garden, with a wife. Jesus is in a desert. He's alone. And he's hungry. He's hungry. Let me tell you, when you feel your need for food, your need for friends, when you feel lonely, Satan will often dangle before you some fake friends. Say, these will be your friends. You just have to live this way instead of that way. Never mind. You'll feel not so lonely anymore. Jesus knows that temptation. Verse 15 of Hebrews 4 says, Jesus, in every respect, was tempted like us. In, every, in all points, the new King James says. We often object at that point, right? There's all kinds of ways we try to object there. Look, look Jesus was never married. I'm married. How could Jesus have been tempted in, in marriage things? He, Jesus was never 50. How could he be faced with retirement temptations like I am? Jesus never faced retirement. What do you do with that? Well, there, there's an analogy I've heard that I, I love, and it has to do with the wind, which helps a lot, because it's been so windy the last few hours, Right? I don't know if you know this analogy, but, but when you face the wind, and you've got to walk to your house from the garage, let's say, and it's windy, you, you get, the analogy is that we're, we're all sinners. None of us can stand up to the wind, right? The wind comes and it pushes against us, and at some point we fall to the temptation. And we might fall when the wind is, is 50 miles an hour. And some of us might be a bit stronger to withstand temptation, but the wind gets to be 80 miles an hour and we, and we fall backwards. Well, Jesus faced the wind until it got to 150 miles an hour, 200, 300, and he never fell back. So who really knows more about wind? Jesus does. He's faced the temptation more. Jesus knows all about it. 
So he was tempted like we are. So run to him. Run to him and seek help from him when you are tempted. Jesus fought for us. I think I just realized I have five things instead of four. There's the cardinal sin of a preacher. I've got one more. I thought that was done. No, the the main point is that uh, Jesus is our champion. He fought for us. The main thing that Jesus did here in this passage was he believed God. He believed God's word. He trusted him. We are watching, as we read this passage, we are watching our champion fight for us. Fight the battle. This is Christ's work for our redemption. Every one of us falls flat before the wind of Satan's temptations. It's not, and we know it's not always Satan. Sometimes it's our own evil nature. But each of us falls back. Jesus stood upright. He did this for us because we couldn't do it on our own. But watch out when you remember that, that, that Jesus is your champion, right? He fought for us. Sometimes, again, we, we goof up there and we say, well, Jesus uh, fought for us so that we wouldn't have to fight. And, and some teachers go this way. No, Jesus fought for us and he described it here so we could see how it's done, so we could fight too. You ever wonder how Luke knew about this, by the way? How did Luke know to write this? Who was there to tell Luke this story? I'm convinced it must be Jesus told one of the apostles who passes it on to Luke. Jesus deliberately wanted us to know about this. That's kind of obvious it's in the Bible, but sometimes we forget this, right? Jesus wants us to, to, to have this glimpse into his temptation. Why? These two reasons. To see that he fought for us and to give us a model. You also are to fight. And here are some ways how. It's our calling too. We aren't perfect like Jesus. We, we shouldn't rely on our work like we rely on his. But we are called to deny ourselves, to resist temptation. We do go to the desert and fast on occasion, seeking God's guidance and help like he did. So let's look to Christ. Resist Satan's temptations. Deny ourselves and obey our Heavenly Father as Christ did. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see the work of Christ done for us today. We often get wrapped up in the sacrifices that we are making for our family, for our neighbor, for our church, whatever it may be. And we forget that we love you because you first loved us. So bring us back to Christ to look to him in loyalty as our champion who has won the battle for us. And then send us forth to fight the battles you have for us with renewed strength. Keep us, Lord, from despondency and despair when we see all our enemies arrayed against us. And thank you for giving us the promise of success as the kingdom of your Son comes to earth. For this end, we pray. Zechariah 7 and 8 for our communion exhortation. In the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of Chislev, when the people sent Sharezer with Regamelech and his men to the house of God to pray to the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, 
Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? And then in chapter 8, verse 19, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore love, truth, and peace. Thus far the reading of God's word. The fast turns to the feast in Zechariah. When it comes to Lent at the Lord's table on the Lord's day, the church calendar people like to point out that this is the first Sunday in Lent. It's not the first Sunday of Lent. There's a grammatical fine point, isn't there? What's the difference? Well, Sunday technically is not part of Lent. If you count the 40 days of Lent, you have to skip the Sundays. No, there's no 40-day fast after the resurrection of Christ. No 40-day fast like Lent should overwhelm our weekly celebration of our Lord's resurrection, is the point. So we come to this table on Lent the same way we do other times, rejoicing in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Like other times, we may be somber and contrite when we see the cost of our sins that Jesus took on himself at the cross, when we're convicted anew by the word preached, but grace is greater than our sin, and joy should prevail. Uh, I was uh, gone last week doing a, a wedding in Virginia for some old friends, and, and the point, main point I made there was much the same. We need to receive the grace of God in Christ before we can sacrifice for others. That's the only way your marriage will work. It's the only way your life following Jesus will work. It has to start here, at this table receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ yourself, receiving him into your own soul, your very own body. Then you are equipped to serve others, to sacrifice, to observe Lent, if you are so led. So let us receive Christ and rest on him alone for our salvation today. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.